It's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas. And what better way to get into the holiday spirit than with a Minky Couture blanket? Whether you're gathered around the tree with loved ones, roasting marshmallows by the fire, or just looking for a cozy way to stay warm on a chilly night, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Christmas festivities. With a wide range of festive designs and colors, you can find the perfect blanket to match your holiday decor or gift to your loved ones. So this Christmas, make your holiday even cozier with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket, just in time for the holiday. Happy holidays from Mickey Couture. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov career usbp. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hi, it's Luke here from the Custard TV Podcast. Now, one of our favourite shows of 2015 and 2017 is returning Sunday the 15th of July on ITV at 9pm. This is, of course, ITV's crime drama Unforgotten, starring Sanjeev Bhaskar and Nicola Walker, and the brand new group of suspects, Neil Morrissey, James Fleet, Kevin McNally, and Alex Jennings, as a tight-knit group of old school friends who are called in after a body is discovered on off the M1 motorway. Um, I've got a lot of coverage of Unforgotten on the website right now, thecustardtv.com. Cast and crew were lovely to me when I visited the set twice uh, this year. And it all culminates now in a chat I did a few weeks ago with writer and creator Chris Lang about what we can expect from this third series. In terms of this third series, firstly, congratulations on getting it, because that's the main thing. Were you always confident you were going to get it? How how did you feel from ITV's perspective that the second series was received, and how soon did you know that you were writing series three? I had no notion at all that it was in the bag. Uh, I think we all felt confident in the show we'd made, but that's not enough, obviously. The audience have to like it, and... Uh, and a few other things have to slot into place. It was a new team at ITV um, since the first series, so uh, it, it wasn't something that this team had, had themselves initiated. Um, so, so, yeah, it was very much not in the bag. We had to wait for the 28-day figures to come through, so we had a sense of how the show performed uh, on catch-up over the whole series. So we did not have a decision until four weeks after the last episode and i think in the end both the figures and of course the critical response um were the things that allowed it to be recommissioned because the figures were very solid the other thing was that it was so uh, critically well received for you because we've spoken before about how you sort of started off as a writer doing powerful one-off three-parter two Mm. two two-parters does it feel nice to keep coming back to at least Nicola and Sanji's characters year after year yeah definitely because you're going on a much bigger exploratory journey with these people and over so far it's been 18 hours of drama that I have exclusively written Uh, you know I've got to know these characters and you're exploring it 
while you're exploring it ahead of the audience but over the same time frame um i'm finding out who they are and i'm finding out where they're heading and where they've been um in in a similar way to how the audience are you know it doesn't all come fully formed you know they you suddenly find yourself writing a line for them and that prompts oh i wonder why they said that and oh it's because of this this piece of backstory or oh because actually this is what they want from their job or their life or their love life or whatever you only get to explore that kind of depth uh over a big canvas and 18 episodes 18 hours is a pretty big canvas so far and nicola when we met spoke about the fact that the the cases before and some of the decisions the characters make and also just the the weight of what's on her shoulders this year sends cassie into a bit of a a downward spiral going in a different direction than in previous series. Can you talk a little bit about that without giving too much away and why you felt like that was an aspect of her character that you wanted to explore further? Yeah, I wanted to explore the impact of being a police officer uh, and dealing uh, with quite a senior police officer and dealing with very serious crime for, in her case, well over two decades she is her character is i think 46 47 and joined the force probably not long after school that now what effect does that have on you as a person seeing so much tragedy violence people doing the worst sorts of things to each other i wanted to explore that and of course i also wanted to chase through the decision they made at the end of a series two I didn't want to uh, make series three about series two. Uh, so it's very elliptical and obliquely referenced, but it's there. Uh, I, I, I absolutely tell the audience it's there. And uh, yeah, she goes on a, a very profound journey, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see where that takes her. Does any of the darkness elements, obviously, you're talking about them affecting the characters. Do you feel like when you're in the midst of the six scripts, do they affect you? Are you able to switch off from them once you've put them down on paper? Or I don't think I ever become so invested that it affects my mood. No more so than the, the, the lives of, of, of the people around me in, in the real world affect me. Of course, you know, I'm drawing on everything around me all the time. I'm drawing, drawing on my own experience. I'm drawing on friends' experiences, people I've read about, uh, their experiences. You're absolutely invested in it and you're absolutely fascinated by it. I'm not emotionally brought down by it, but I'm, fasc yeah. I'm fascinated by it. it. It occupies, when I'm writing it, it occupies my every waking moment literally and i will it will quite often be the last thing i think of before i go to bed and the first thing when i wake up at sort of 5 30 still trying to work out why a character has done something or is going to do something the premise this time is that the body of a young girl is found on the motorway i imagine that the crime is difficult enough to come up with but where they're discovered must be quite hard to come up with and how they're discovered because you've done the guy in the suitcase you've done the building site is mm. it harder each time just to just to start off from right they're found in such a place no I imagine that'd be quite hard. no it's not hard for me because i spend my life uh thinking where would i bury a body if i kill someone 
<laughs> that's worth knowing yeah and uh and the motorway one has been one that i have had for 20 or 30 years every time i drive down a motorway i think i bet no one ever goes in that central reservation where that little grass verges and if there were roadworks, what a brilliant place to bury a body uh so and you know i might have given some very unpleasant people some ideas here let's hope not uh, so no, for me no. Uh, I I I'm constantly uh, thinking where would you where would you put someone? And uh, as I think I said to you before, if any if if I ever get arrested for anything and the police look at my search history, I'm in oh. trouble. I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah, you're going down. The questions, the questions I've asked Google. No wonder you have to have Chris Lang at the front of everything. You've it's a, it's an alibi more than anything, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> You've spoken before how you take things from everyday life. It's just natural for a writer, I suppose, to do that. And this being four men in in the limelight this time that have been friends since school and are all in the spotlight for this. And you said to us in the room that day that this was sort of inspired by sort of an awkward weekend that you had with friends. And how do you feel that they will react when they see it and how, how, how much of it did you put in to it from that experience they will react with amusement because i've told them i'm doing it in fact they begged me to do it <laughs> they begged me to use their names uh and they're delighted by it and uh they're 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 very very close very very uh old loyal bunch of friends that i've known since i was 11 and i've many times over the years i've i've used their names just to make them uh laugh there's, there, there's very, very little of, of, of any real event in there. Just, uh, just yeah, a, dif- a difficult weekend once uh, many years ago uh, was, was, was one part of the story that I, I used. But, but, of course, everything else about uh, the characters is fictitious, apart from the fact that they, they all went to grammar school together um, 40 years ago, which, uh, which is true. Uh, I, my, my three of my best friends I, I have known since I was 11. That's quite amazing just to have that amount of time to, to, to think about and to use in a way. Well, exactly. And I, I think that's why I, I, I was interested in it, because um, happily, my friendship with them is not going to be, I, I suspect, challenged by one of us having turned out to be uh, um, a killer. It, it's interesting to contemplate what it must be like to, to, to go through that, because it must it must have happened. And, and again, going back to the original premise of Unforgotten, one of the most urgent questions that i found myself asking when stuart hall got um arrested and charged and then found guilty is what must it like not not just what must it be like not just for his family that was my first concern but i did very quickly think and his friends his mates the people Mm. he'd known for 20 30 40 years the people who just thought they knew him and had spent holidays with him had gone down the pub with him and done all of that sort of stuff so this series probably more so than any of the others it it, it explores that notion for that reason does it feel more personal than the others or not necessarily yeah it's an exploration of friendship to a degree yeah you know i do explore the nature of what it does to their to their friendship of course uh uh, you know you you could write a whole drama just about that um and maybe i will one day but but um unforgotten has its own uh, needs as well I could write 20 episodes on on each of the stories I've created. I constantly have to cut stuff and pare back, and Mm. that happens both in the scripting process and indeed when we get into the edit, because there's always so much you you could put in and and you can't put it all in. I mean, we've spoken before about how do you... Not only do you 
do you have interesting stories, but you have actors this time around to the calibre of Neil Morrissey and Alex Jennings and and uh, Kevin McNally, and how do you make sure that everybody gets their moment in the spotlight? It must be difficult to give them all something to do and feel worthy of being there, but not too much as well. You've got to balance it out. Yeah, you do, and that's exactly what you do. You create their stories, and you look at them, and you, and you think, are they all equally weighted? Do they have enough substance? And if one doesn't have enough substance, you, you, you know, in a quite mechanistic way, you go back and you look for more. It's quite a schematic process, and, and, it, and it will often come down to looking at the page and going, well, he's got two pages of story there and he's got half a page, so something's wrong. And then, you know, so trying to fix that at storyline stage, make sure that's all equal. And then very schematically, when you get to scripting stage, I literally go on final draft and I do a line count and a scene count and I see are they all kind of roughly playing around about the same. And if they're not, then I look at it. If, if, a, if a character is light on story, it's so easy because of the basic what I've started with, the basic structure, the big opening structure, will will be rich already. It's very easy just to mine one of the seams a little more. Uh, you know, uh, his relationship with his daughter or his relationship with his ex-wife or, or his, his own mother or whatever. They, they'll all tap into the pathology and psychopathology of, of the character's journey. So uh, I don't find that hard at all. And this one's different as well because this... We got a sense that this one feels like it's a crime that would have had a lot of press attention at the time and that you bring up the annoyance and importance to a degree of social media, which is something you hadn't done in the previous two. How does that fit into the story this time? It's a key part of it. It's tapping into some themes that I wanted to explore about the increasing public nature of um, police investigation and whether that has an effect on due process and how many investigations are conducted under the very uh, very public gaze, uh, whether that affects decision-making and uh, affects the efficacy of an investigation. So I certainly wanted to explore that uh, and I wanted to explore what it is revealing of us uh i I won't be the first to 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 write something about our rage or the rage that is just expressed on a daily basis online i guess the question i would ask is was that always there and we just have a means of expressing it now or does social media itself and gender rage is it a bit of both is 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 it the, the 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 was uh, anger uh, there always has been we can express it but it is the fl- the flames are fanned by by the something about the nature of uh, anonymous uh, discourse online and in terms of cassie as well because it's bigger profile this time round she's more center stage and having to ask the questions and be the face of it which she hasn't really done mm. in the past was that interesting for you to put her in a in a bigger role mm. in, in a sense mm. and uh it's not something i think the character is particularly comfortable with again that's asking them to be not just investigators but uh you know uh, experts in public relations and and how you are appear to the to the press and and being exposed you know you're no you're no longer just a, a detective working behind police uh tape your public property for for, for 
very public consumption and, and criticism in some instances. And what is what is that like for, for someone like her, her character? Were you surprised and are you surprised that there seems to be this want for them to be in some sort of a more loving relationship, Cass, Cassie and Sonny? I mean, I, I certainly didn't see that coming in the first series. Mm. Was, it, was it something that took off on social media or something that you planted that I just didn't spot before? Yeah. Is it, obviously, in the second, they mm. have that moment mm. where they were. But I didn't really see... I saw their relationship as more of a a friendly yeah. relationship and then I think she did that's, that, that was the story yeah. what I articulated there was exactly what the audience probably mm. thought which was this was an incredibly affectionate and close professional relationship what's I thought was just fascinating to explore is well, when, when one half of that duo misreads it um, yeah. because because you're right that's exactly what it was that that is yeah. the truth that is the objective truth it's a, it was a very affectionate professional relationship and no more than that except he got it wrong he read it wrong um, you know and people read those things wrong for all sorts of reasons because they're vulnerable themselves at the time and they're emotionally needy at the time um as he was um and he made that sort of uh, catastrophic uh, uh, error luckily they were good enough friends to be able to get over it and they, and they do get over it and they they have got over it by the time we joined them in uh, in series three you said you find it easy to figure out where the bodies are going to be buried remember that everyone remember mm. how easy you find it. <laughs> <laughs> and you find it easy to sort of get back into the swing of cassie and sunny what what do you find what does stress you out what does complicate mm. matters for you when you're writing this um the hardest part is the first four or five weeks when you have created the premise of the story you you know what the rough uh, territory is and you know roughly what who the characters are uh, uh, and what themes you're going to explore and then they say yes go ahead and and do it and then you have to go away and write a a very detailed map which is you know a 30 page storyline that's hard that's just it's unspeakably hard um, it's just hour upon hour, day upon day, week upon week of just grinding away and creating another another few minutes every day of storyline and, and then and then getting to the end of it and then going back again and trying to make sure that everything ties in and then working out how the investigation threads through it and then working out where the big, big story shifts and turns and twists don't all occur at the same time. So working out how you can spread them apart, but then that, how that unbalances certain characters. So it's just a, a really difficult uh, structural process uh, and it's, de- it's depressingly difficult and I'm always miserable when I'm doing it. Once I've got that, actually then the scripting is it's, it's not easy but it's uh, it's it's an enjoyable process i don't think you could say that storylines enjoyable it's it's like building the foundations mm. there's no there's no aesthetic pleasure to be gained from it it's just you've got to do it you, you know it's the hard graft which you don't you can't really see uh, in the same as you can't see foundations of a building but without without them n- nothing stands up do you consider yourself a showrunner now because you're quite involved in unforgotten do you consider yourself that or are you still in your mind the writer and an exec producer or because the uk is slowly getting around to that showrunner model isn't it 
Well, it is, but I wouldn't call myself a showrunner because because a showrunner would be running other writers. Um, yeah, true. Uh, and I, I I do run myself, but only into the <laughs> only into the ground. Well, Jed Mercurio classes himself as a showrunner, and he writes all of Line of Duty and doesn't involve anyone else. So I suppose you're quite similar in that respect. Well, if if he does, then if Jed does, then I am. <laughs> Anything Jed does. to <laughs> me, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I think mine are authored series, you know, and I, I yeah. very much own the sort of tone of the of the piece, and I'm very, I'm a very hands-on exec, um, so I'm involved very heavily right from day one of pre-production and casting, and then every day of post until the day it's delivered. So, whatever you want to call that, that's who I am. And in terms of cast, you always garner impressive named cast i mean that's not luck is it really that's because people are drawn to it i think they are now yeah i think you know we were very lucky with our first central piece of casting which was nicola and nicola attracts talent uh, and attracts quality because i think it was good to sit down with Tom Courtney, who I think was the second person. And well, he go, sat down throughout, as far as I remember. Yes, he did. <laughs> and he liked, he liked, he got very good in that wheelchair as well. He was, he didn't want to get out of it. Um, but you know, it's good to be able to sit down uh, uh, and, t- and t- take tea with Tom. Um, being able to say, you know, Nicola Walker's uh, going to be in it, and and you know, he would have known her stage work, and 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 he would think, okay, we got a classy piece. And then you got when you got Tom Courtney and and Nicola Walker, and then you get Sanjeev, and then you get Bernard Hill, and you know, it they, they it just gets a momentum. And I think after that first series, it it didn't. It, it was never hard after that to attract good cast. We've had very few rejections, and um, that's lovely. It's lovely. It's it's a, it's a great place for the show to be in. Do they, in your mind, Nicola and Sanjeev, do they anchor the show? You couldn't really do un- you could do Unforgotten technically without them, couldn't you? You could do it with a new mm. police force every year, really, but. You, you could. They're the, the anchors of the show. Completely. Um, they're the sort of heart of the show, um, both literally and metaphorically. But also as people, they lead the show as well. Uh, and the atmosphere on set is always, it's often led by the leading actors and they create a, a fantastic working environment for all the guest actors to come in. And they're, they're, they're as good and as lovely and charming and kind with the person who's got one scene as they are with the knights of the realm so it's a very lovely place to be and a huge part of that is down to down to them when you finish this do you put it to bed or or in the back of your mind are you going if we get a series four i would like to do dot 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 or can you can you not do that i i can because i i i would be inhuman if i didn't i i I always have ideas. I always think, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to do a group of da-da-da-da or a group of da-da-da-da? Well, do you know, funnily enough, I did. (laughs) I did have an idea about um, – I I suddenly thought, wouldn't it be fantastic? We've done done, um, Sir Tom, but wouldn't it be great to get all the dames? Uh, oh. All the dames, the, yeah. Dame Judy, Dame Maggie, Dame um, Dame Edna. Not Dame Edna. I don't think that would quite play, but uh, <laughs> nice suggestion. Um, I'm always here if you want casting suggestions. By yeah, the way, yeah. So I would that love would to do something incredible. that would be interesting. You know, a group of a group of uh, characters that you know, an age group you don't see an awful lot of on telly. A group of octogenarians. That would be fantastic. Fascinating to tell wow. a story about them. 
I've got sort of half a dozen possible stories I could tell. Whether or not I want to is yeah. is another thing. I have to wait and see how it goes. I have to see what the audience say. I have to see what the broadcaster says. And at that point, I weigh all them up and I go, do I want to do this again? Do I feel that I can mm. tell something n- new, original, that still feels fresh and as, as good as the other three? I, I think we're, in, that- we're in a TV landscape where, you, you know, if that doesn't happen then those stories can be told anywhere else, not yep. in the guise of Unforgotten. And that is the, the beauty, I suppose, of the fact that there's so much TV, whether it be online or, you know, if you want to do an Apple series or yep. whatever, you know. Yep. There's just so many places for storytellers to go. Yeah, nice. Could... It's great. Um, yeah. And it's it can't be anything but beneficial to all of the broadcasters to have a little more competition because uh, they know they've they've all know they've got to really raise their game because otherwise it's going to x y or z and and they'll get all the plaudits so everyone is is trying to do uh, the best work really really competitive market at the moment in a, in, a, in a good way and you're loving what at the moment i loved the, uh, russell t davis's piece yes uh, we, we've discussed this briefly, but I, I have, I am loving the first two episodes, and I've only seen the first two of Patrick Melrose. I am enjoying—I don't know—that's this is the wrong word. Handmaiden's Tale. I, I am it's watching weird, it. That one. Yeah, it's just it. so fucking bleak, <laughs> unremittingly dark and hateful to yeah. women. I don't mean the piece isn't hateful to women, but the story is about people who are yeah. hateful to women. Yeah. And I just don't know how much more of it I can take is the truth. I'm on episode four and I sort of did turn to my wife and said, this is, this is painful. It's, it's just misery. It's, it's misery. endless misery. And you just think, come on, give us a break. Give us something, some hope. You know, she gets dragged out of that plane and you thought she was going to escape. Well, you didn't think she was going to escape because you thought, how are they going to fill yeah. another nine episodes? But, but I didn't, I thought she might have a brief taste of freedom, but it, it's, I just want yeah. something to kick against and uh, yeah. give us some hope. So, I am watching. So of course, it's brilliantly made, but but um, I'm I'm. It's never, weird uh, that, isn't it? Because we we watch as a country, we we don't mind a lot of dark drama, a lot of you know, we've made a lot of dramas about young children being killed and going missing and horrendous things, and yet that seems relentlessly bleak in in the fact that you just want some you want to see a scene of her running through a field of buttercups or enjoying a cabbage dairy milk you well want you want to see you want to see um aunt betty or whatever her name is what's what's the one who's uh, the, the, the one aunt lydia aunt lydia i want to i'm fantasizing <laughs> about her getting what's coming to her and that's what i really want to see i want to see her grab that electric and shock thing and oh. give it to her where, where the sun doesn't shine because uh she is a, a very very good baddie um but yeah you want to see some kickback yeah. you want to see some se- some sense that that, that it's not it's going uh, it's going to end better for them but um i don't know where they take it it will be interesting to see yeah, i, I like guess i will i will she... remain with it yeah i like the idea that you nearly called her aunt bessie then <laughs> like yorkshire pudding sales would have dropped through the roof then really. I, I don't know what the ratings of it are i don't know whether it's doing well for channel 4 i haven't seen their ratings i don't know i don't know how well it does on hulu really i just know that Elizabeth Moss is amazing in a war. I mean, people don't review it like the US critics. They don't review it on a weekly basis because it's mm. just too bleak. You mm-hmm. just sort of you watch it when you feel like you can, rather <laughs> rather yeah. than the other way. When you're strong yeah. enough, when you're up to it. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. feeling good enough to be able to handle an episode. To feel low enough still. for the yeah. All we do is hide away. All we do is, all we do is hide away. Unforgotten returns Sunday the 15th of July at 9pm on ITV. Previous series are on the ITV Hub. Watch them now. And thank you to Chris Lang and to the whole Unforgotten team for making me feel so welcome on set. Uh, there's a big piece online now at thecustardtv.com about my set visit. Separate interviews with Sanjeev and Nicola. All worth a read if you're a big fan. Unforgotten returns Sunday, 9pm. ITV. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.